Welcome to HRI's Next in Health podcast. I'm Igor Belikronitsky, a principal with PwC Strategy End, where I get to help leading health organizations with their strategies and operating models. Today, we're going to talk about an article that we've been writing with quite a large team of people. And from that team, we have with us Kristen Craig, the director in our health practice working with leading health systems and health insurers on their strategies, as well as Siddharth Doshi, who likewise works with leading health systems, but also works on deals and transactions and with, with private equity clients. We will be discussing the industrialization of healthcare. So Kristen and Siddharth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Igor. Excited to be here. Likewise. Thanks for having us on. All right. So a few months ago, we started toying with an interesting notion. We noticed that in a lot of spheres of our lives, there has been a great deal of industrialization, by which we mean that things become more standardized, they become more predictable, they become safer, they become more affordable, and they continue to remain very innovative. And we've seen it in such fundamental aspects of our lives as transportation and retail and financial services. And so we started thinking about what is the mechanism by which this happens and is it happening in healthcare? Because in fact, if it did happen in healthcare, it would have huge implications on the profit pools in the industry. It would have huge implications on the industry structure and it would have huge implications on the payers, the providers, the suppliers, and ultimately the patients in the communities. It would have implications on costs, on prices, on quality, on safety, on equity. So it was quite far-reaching in terms of its implications. And so what the team did then is we looked at other industries that I've already mentioned, like retail and transportation and financial services, to see the journey by which they industrialized, because obviously it didn't happen overnight, and what were the key stages of that journey, and thought about how healthcare might travel down that path as well, what are the steps that might be involved and how quickly it might happen. What does it all mean for the organizations that are in healthcare today and the organizations that are continually trying to enter healthcare? So today we'll try something a little bit different in terms of our format because during the writing of this article, we had a lot of great debates as a team. And so today will also be a little bit of a debate and we'll all be kind of devil's advocates and we'll steal men each other's arguments just to give you a sense for the varying opinions and the varying perspectives that will exist around this issue. So Kristen and Siddharth, really looking forward to the discussion with you. Us too. Thanks, Igor. I guess I'll start us off. As you mentioned, one of the things we looked at was different industries and how quickly or not they've moved in their evolution towards a more industrialized or more patterned state. And of course, there were various inflection points that we saw over the last century. But from the both of your perspective, how do we think in the same vein about the healthcare industry? How quickly do we feel that industrialization is happening? And how long do you think a good end state is awake? I think it's happening quickly and we're seeing signs of it speeding up. And this is a good thing. A number of the legacy barriers that had kept healthcare in the kind of pre-industrialized state of the, you know, the equivalent of 19th century agriculture, we are seeing signs that they're starting to shift, even big shifts in the last 10 years. 
One example is around big data and the power of information flows. There's been a couple of waves of transformation in healthcare, first with the shift from a largely paper-based system to the emergence of EHRs. And then increasingly, what are we able to do with that data? Are we able to access it and actually use it for some of the transformative interoperability and turn it into better care, better access, better insights about patients? Another example is in the marketplace of healthcare with increasing productization and increasing ability to look for and create products where you know what you're buying and at what price and have guarantees around outcomes. And we're seeing this in both consumer and other broader markets like employers and payers. Another place where we're seeing this is in the actual clinical care transformation. So examples would be AI and radiology that not only improves standardization, but also actually increases, you know, our diagnostic ability or the explosion of home health care models since the beginning of the pandemic, which has really transformed a new and created a new element of care delivery that's lower cost, higher quality and more convenient and desirable for the consumers. Even on the back office transformation of healthcare and a little bit in the background, in the past, we would see clients who manage their nurse staffing over a broad region with an Excel sheet. And today we're seeing increasingly health systems that are outsourcing entire functions and trying to find new ways to more accessibly schedule or other elements of their back office. And I think it's great. I think the end result for patients, for consumers is improved safety, access, affordability. So excited. Excited to see where, you know, we're not there yet, but there's a lot of really exciting signs. Kristen, I agree with you that we're not there yet. And I'm perhaps less optimistic than you on how quickly we're moving there. You mentioned greater safety access and affordability for consumers. I'm not sure that that is happening. In fact, we've seen safety dropping off in the recent couple of years and experience dropping off. Affordability certainly not improving and access is getting better, but it is unclear yet whether that better access is actually translating to better outcomes. You also talked about technology and how that is transforming the delivery of care. And we are certainly adding a lot of technology. But once again, when I look at experience and affordability, it is not always creating that. And if you look in particular at the experience of the caregivers, the clinicians, many of them are dissatisfied with their technology because they still somehow end up late at night. And we've discussed this on previous podcasts with their pajama time doing charting late after they've put the kids to bed because the technology requires them to enter more data. So you might say that, look, these are bumps in the road. These are kinks that we're going to iron out. And so, yeah, so maybe they're bumps in the road, but maybe they are the road. Maybe it's just really, really hard to do industrialization in this space. And as we think more about industrialization kind of happens by two mechanisms. One is via the governments. And, you know, if you look at the 20th century, some large totalitarian regimes industrialized their countries and it was very painful and bloody and displaced a lot of people and was really bad for their environment. So we don't want that. Or you industrialize through a market. And a market, you know, is that magic? It's just a way to exchange information about quality, about risk and about preferences. And then you supply meets demand and you have pricing and capital can move. But in healthcare, the market doesn't work particularly. And Ken Arrow wrote this in 1963, and it's still true 60 years later. 
there's too much uncertainty for the market to operate. There's uncertainty about the outcome. There's uncertainty about the quality, uncertainty about the course of treatment and what result it would produce and how much it was going to cost. There's this huge gap in understanding between the person selling healthcare and the person buying healthcare. And in fact, people who need the most are the least equipped to make good decisions and good choices or pay for them. So it really doesn't seem to want to be a market. And that, I think, is a huge barrier and a huge obstacle in the path of industrialization. And all of that might be a good thing because if you ask clinicians whether they want to work in a factory, many of them will say no. In fact, I was in the room once when that was proposed to a room full of physicians and they were not super happy about it. And likewise, I think if you ask consumers whether they want to be treated by a global hospital corporation, you may hear some reluctance. So not moving perhaps as fast as we would like and may not get there. And that might be a good thing. So what do you think about that? I think that the dynamic you described where the current industry, the current providers might not like working for a factory. I don't I don't think if you asked shoemakers from 100 years ago, if they wanted to make shoes the way we make shoes today, that they would have chosen that either. But I think the result is that most of us do buy shoes from the shoe store and not from a local artisan shoemaker who's cutting the leather themselves. And so there's a push for faster moving, greater quality, lower prices that are going to drive some changes that I think are going to be uncomfortable for the incumbents. You know, we've moved a lot at the pace of the incumbents historically. And to your point earlier around some of the struggles, and, you know, we certainly aren't there yet. I think we very much are in the earlier stages of industrialization as an industry, but I don't think that's a good status quo for us. And it hasn't worked historically to let the incumbents set the pace. I like the shoe comparison. It also makes me think of a supposed Henry Ford quote about how if he'd asked consumers what they wanted, they would have told them a much faster horse. And ultimately, that's not what we're looking for here. And so perhaps we can do better. Perhaps an AI can allocate resources and forecast demand and supply a lot better than either a market can or a government entity can. And as a result, we can have a more functional market in healthcare. But there is very, very significant inertia in the system. There are a lot of incumbents that have learned to live under the current model and may not want to have a huge change. And we also do need to manage this transformation responsibly. The industry looks the way it is for a reason. It is, as you mentioned, suboptimal, but we have to be careful as we start changing things rapidly, not to break important safety mechanisms, not to break important protections and consider the humans that are involved in the system and not just the system itself, the clinicians, the patients, the communities, the families, and how this would affect them. I totally agree. I, my dad was a doctor and I used to talk to him about my excitement about changing this crazy healthcare system. And he always told me that he was glad that he was going to be retired by the time I was changing it. <laughs> That's a great perspective. And so we've started getting into this question of disruption and the incumbents, as well as the disruptors that may enter and are continuing to enter, in fact, and change the space and potentially make it more industrial. And so in this environment, Kristen and Siddharth, do you think it's better to be an incumbent or is it better to be a disruptor? Should you be a pirate ship or should you be a mothership as we think about it? Well, I think I've certainly made the case for a pirate ship, but I'd be curious to hear what Siddharth thinks. 
Yeah, I think, you know, there's some compelling points made earlier in this podcast by both of you on the pace of disruption and who is doing it. I think it's an exciting time and has been for a few years to be a new entrant or disruptor, however broad that definition is. I continue to believe that incumbents, and I'm talking specifically about health systems here, and, you know, we can extend that definition, remain in pole position to drive change. Of course, to the points made above about the speed of disruption and change thus far, with specific actions and decisions, whether that's their growth portfolio, their capital allocation, their workforce changes and and business modernization efforts. And maybe I'll just lay out why I think that and then Kristen kind of ask your view as well. But when I think about it in three buckets, the infrastructure as it relates to, you know, physical infrastructure, the workforce and talent and the center of gravity around that, as well as capital, the trust and brand power that health systems continue to have. And finally, the intent that we're seeing in the market. For me, the incumbents continue to be the prime lever of change. I think, again, as Igor said, I work with plenty of investors and smaller companies that are acting to drive change. But in a lot of cases, the end channel or the end partner ends up being a health system in a particular market that uses all these things that I've talked about to actually make the change happen at scale. So before I go too deep, I guess, in any one of those, Kristen, love to hear your thoughts. And I know we've had these conversations over the last year, but how do you think, I guess, the disruptors vis-a-vis the things we're talking about here? I definitely hear what you're saying in terms of healthcare delivery requiring lots of expertise that takes a long time to build and assets that are at a premium in terms of just the physical fixed costs and real estate. But I think some of those entrenched assets are also driving incentives and limiting the incumbents from disrupting the model. I think in particular around acute care, the fixed costs are so high. And so in a healthcare system that is likely going to need to dramatically shift care and where it's delivered, how it's delivered to be increasingly virtual, increasingly in the home, increasingly incorporating not just sick care, but well care and whole health. It's much harder for the current hospital systems. You know, there's a bad reputation of hospitals being motivated by heads in beds and filling their beds, but it's understandable because they have this huge fixed asset and they're not de-incentivized to shift people away from it to other settings that make lower costs. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it's hard to argue that those incentives have existed. My counterpoint has generally been There is recognition, I think, among certainly all of our clients, but generally in the industry, that there is a case for change, whether it's, you know, the things that we just talked about, capital allocation decisions and more along ambulatory access points, home care, investments and partnerships with these disruptors that health systems are making. Igor has profiled or had on this podcast, I believe, several market makers or technology systems who partner with our incumbents, whether it's, you know, promoting quality and cost transparency, interoperability, better analytics for population health. And so that to me just solidifies that, yes, these challenges have existed in the past. But as we look ahead and I think about who's really going to drive this change It's probably not one or the other, I think, maybe, you know, to come around to that point. But health systems appear to be making the changes so that they will be the prime channel or prime shift in their markets. Now, 
from our research, Kristen, we've obviously understood that there have been instances where incumbents have slowed down progress or shifts. And, you know, these are in hindsight pattern recognition over decades. But as I look at our health systems here and I think about the the investments in modernization, whether it's EHRs, ERPs, interoperability, clinical trials being done differently, the efforts being made around workforce that you mentioned in terms of the movement to better scheduling and staffing, the partnerships with disruptors. I don't know. I'm very positive and I guess educated, hopeful, that our incumbents and health systems will continue to make these choices or accelerate the choices in their strategic and operational plans to push us further towards the aspects that Igor and you started this conversation off with. Of course, choices have to be made. There is no doubt on that. But I would make the case for the incumbents, maybe in more partnerships with these disruptors that we've talked about being the prime drivers for change. Well, I share your hope and optimism and I'm rooting for them as well. I think one of the other things that the incumbents have that the disruptors don't, which is always at a premium in healthcare, is trust, which of course we saw during the pandemic was a, a real driver of outcomes and ability to reach patients in the population. And so the providers right now have more trust than most of the other healthcare players in the industry. So I think it would be great if they were able to help lead some of this transformation. No doubt. And not to say that there haven't been challenges with health systems, with disruptors. From my view, that is accelerating the need for change. So let's hope that that continues. Well, I suppose we will see what happens when the unstoppable force of industrialization meets the movable object of the current industry structure. Usually when that happens, a great deal of energy is released and we will try to tap into that energy and see which way it's going. But overall, what I took away from this conversation is a focus on four things going forward. One is this notion of ecosystems and whether you're an incumbent or a disruptor, you will likely have to function within an ecosystem and find and carve out a role for yourself in it, as opposed to trying to go it on your own and potentially creating even more fragmentation and disruption to the patients and the consumers. The second is productization. One of the reasons the market is having such a hard time working in this industry is because it's very unclear what we're selling and what we're buying. And so productization helps create much greater clarity around prices and quality and experiences and safety and equity and all of those other things that we care about. The third thing is technology. And I think we all agreed on the great potential of technology to transform healthcare. I think we just have disagreements about the extent to which that potential has been realized. And then finally, and certainly not last, is the human component, the trust component that Kristen brought up, the need to create this transformation, go on this journey in a manner that is high trust, that brings the consumers along, that brings the clinicians along, that preserves privacy and safety and continues making us a higher trust society. All of these topics that we've touched on on prior conversations. So I thank you. Chris and Sadars for a great and very stimulating conversation. Thank you, Igor. Thank you, Igor. Thanks for having us. For more on these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please visit our website at pwc.com forward slash HRI. Until next time, this has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved.
PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.